one of the things I was desperate to break is that disparity between a good cause and a really pants product. Hello and welcome to the Make an Impact podcast with me, Heidi Fisher. It's too complicated to measure our impact. We don't have the resources. Nobody cares. We can't afford it. Yes, you can and yes, you must. And in the Make an Impact podcast, Heidi Fisher explores how organisations put impact at the heart of what they do and how you can too. Bryn Frere-Smith is the founder of Blue Bear Coffee, which uses its profits and profile to support organisations fighting human trafficking and caring for survivors. After leaving the Metropolitan Police Service, he launched Norfolk's least successful security company before ending up in close protection, working with some of the richest people in the world. But he needed to find his purpose, and that took him to the most challenging 12 months of his life and ultimately to launching Blue Bear. Hi, Bryn. I'm so glad that you've joined me today for my podcast. Could you tell me a little bit about your background, please, to start with? Absolutely. I would uh, I'd love to. And thanks for having me on. So I will try and stick to what is somewhat pertinent um, and start my, my story probably uh, about six years ago when I left the Metropolitan Police Service in London. So I had a background of about five years in the police force. I worked in Norfolk um, as a uniform response officer and then as a surveillance officer in the Met in East London. And I, I left not for any particular um, sort of reason, no, no you know, sensational scandal attached to it, I'm, I'm pleased to say. But I was a little bit frustrated and, and fed up. Um, and I just wasn't sure that that organization held my future. So I decided to leave and see what life was like outside of that institution, take a career break with the thought that maybe I can return um, within a few years if I wanted to, if I chose to. Did a bit of traveling and, uh, and I wasn't really sure where to start, but I came back and thought, well, what do I know? I know security. So I started a security company and it, it went on to be Norfolk's least successful security company. And, uh, and I learned a few lessons from that. And I had a very, very briefly, I had a landscaping business, which was designed to take um, sort of onerous chores off people. Um, and I titled that Can't Be Grassed. And, uh, and I had one customer and uh, I lost her after I strimmed a stone through her living room window. So that wasn't a great success either. So I went to London and ended up getting a job as a bodyguard for a, um, for a royal family from the Middle East. And I took me into a, a new path of security uh, working in close protection. It was amazing. Spent the next four years or so with a variety of clients seeing world through an extremely privileged lens, or that of the 0.1% of the world, if not far, far, far uh, a smaller amount of people that have that sort of access and those sort of resources. Uh, but I found myself um, feeling somewhat lost. And I had always felt a big call on my life to pursue justice in some capacity it was certainly the reason I wanted to be a police officer and here I was at the time working in Mayfair at that time as a as an advisor to a venture capital firm and I just thought this isn't this isn't where I'm supposed to be and a friend of mine sat me down and said well if you could take away money if you could take away the need to pay rent or a mortgage um, you know what would you choose to do and I thought oh there's this organization called International Justice Mission, and I've been sponsoring them for several years. I think I'd go and work for them. 
So International Justice Mission is the biggest anti-slavery agency in the world. Uh, they're headquartered in Washington, D.C., and they have a footprint in something like 17 or 18 different countries around the world. And they investigate human trafficking and different uh, social justice cases, but principally the issue of modern day slavery. And so I did. I volunteered for them. And I was one of two investigators to be taken on that year in what was called a fellowship position. And um, I was sent to the Dominican Republic, which sounds pretty good, doesn't it? I, it was, sounds it was, beautiful. <laughs> I know. I, I was never so pleased that I'd left my Spanish GCSE on my CV because that was what swung it. I think I was heading for Bangalore, South India, and then they realized I had three or four words of Spanish in my vocabulary and sent me to the Caribbean. So I will always be, be a big uh, supporter of embellishment. And... Um, so I ended up in the Caribbean and uh, the project was a particularly difficult one. It, it was focused around investigating the exploitation of children, specifically the sexual exploitation of children on the island. So in a nutshell, the Dominican Republic is absolutely gloriously beautiful, but it's a complex nation and it, it's prostitution is legal. And consequently, there's a great deal of poverty and, and um, polarity between the haves and the have nots. And when IJM first started their project in 2012, they conducted a baseline study and they found that around 10% of the sex workers were under 18. So I'll never um, say that we found 10% of sex workers who are children because we don't believe that uh, children can make a choice and have the agency to enter into that, that profession, that way of life, uh, unless they've been somewhat uh, the victim of a, a horrible set of circumstances. And so the project was focused around identifying children in the sex industry and then finding a way of getting them out. And uh, I went there, worked as an investigator with two local investigators and alongside the, the Dominican National Police. And it was the best and most challenging 12 months of my life. And that was the, the, the kernel that started Blue Bear. So six months into my time there, I went on an operation where a girl had um, gone into school one day and told her teacher about the horrors that she was experiencing at home. And she had been abused uh, by family members since she can remember. And now she was being sold by her mother um, sexually um, by, for small amounts of cash and drugs. And she'd never mentioned it, but she had noticed that the, the predatory behavior from the men who were doing this to her had, was beginning to turn to her little brother and sister. Uh, and she thought, I'm not going to bear witness to this. So she mentioned something very bravely and just produced the most incredible statement I think I've ever read. So the teacher told the police, the police told us, and we responded. And, and within a very short period of time, that girl and her brother and sister were removed from that property. And mum and other abusive characters were arrested and held to justice. And I think there's a, there's a wrong uh, connection between this idea of working in the police, certainly working as an undercover investigator where people think there's some sort of heroism there. And you're the one that kicks down the door and sweeps up the child and walks out into the sunset. It's just not the case. The reality is if you're working in an undercover role, you can't expose yourself. So all you can do is step back, find the evidence, direct the police, step back. But my colleagues did go in. And when they took this little girl out with her brother and sister and sat her in the back of the car, they asked her, is there anything from home you want us to collect for you? And this girl was, I got a picture of her sent through, looking really stoic and trying to be brave for her brother and sister. And she had this rag doll blue teddy bear on her lap. And that's all she asked for. It was the only item of treasure she had. 
So they got that for her and it just broke my heart. Paradoxically, a year before, it was around Christmas time, I was looking after, I was the bodyguard for a, a Persian prince of about six years old. And it was the third time we were in Harrod's toy kingdom in a week. And his nannies had just said, listen, whatever the boy touches, we'll buy it because this is, this is taking too long. So he'd just go around the shop, pushing things off the shelves and then get swept up, put in a basket and sent to the hotel. Fast forward 12 months and the only item of value that this girl uh, considers something she wants to take from one life to the next is a rag doll that none of us would give a second look at. It would probably go straight to the bin. It just shattered me. So I came home that Christmas with a desire to respond in some way. And I didn't know what to do. It was far too gross for me to really feel like I could um, solve, but it was sad and I wanted to move it into action. So I started a small fund, reached out to a few friends, couldn't go big with it, couldn't go social media with it because of the nature of my job. But I could reach out to my friends and loved ones and we raised about £2,000. And with that £2,000, I went back to the Dominican Republic, spent £500 on teddies and other age-appropriate toys, went out with the aftercare department of the project and say, right, we've got this money, what should we do with it? And what started as a teddy bear fund, and the teddy bears are still being given out now in the Dominican Republic, I'm reliably informed, but we then had a £1,500 fund to support the more complex life needs of some of our participants. So there were children that were, in, a, in some degree, starving. You know, they, they didn't have access to groceries and they, we didn't want them to find themselves in the sex industry. So we could support them for a period of time until um, there was an, employ, employer that would, an employer that would take on one of their parents and provide for them. Or there were children with diseases we could help. Well, they can't afford a course of treatment, let alone, um, you know, the long-term care and, and, and uh, resources necessary to get them back to full health. So we could help with that. And as I saw what is ostensibly a really small amount of money to us anyway, um, it just went so far. And uh, I thought, what if I can do this commercially? So when that year ended, I was determined not to close a chapter and, and have a couple of great photographs and say, hey, what a year. I wanted to carry forth that, that, that mission. What if I can start something that can produce funds, but also raise awareness um, for these issues? but also connect people with those brilliant individuals that are doing something about it. We can't all be charity workers. We can't all design these incredible programs, but we can support them. And I thought if we can produce something that can be somewhat of a conduit between people um, that are going to find out a bit more about this issue of human trafficking, but also contribute to, to, to help those that are fighting it, that are combating it, simply by buying a product, how brilliant would that be? So we started a coffee company, and it's called Blue Bear Coffee Company, um, after that experience. And it's absolutely focused around uh, achieving that objective. We're here to support organizations fighting trafficking, and we do it through selling coffee. And that's the way around we do. Uh, we do our business. We're not a coffee company that gives profits away. We're an anti-trafficking organization that sells coffee. And um, yeah, we're new. We'll be coming up to two years old in September from the day we officially launched. Um, and uh, it's been great. It's been a real surprise, especially if I would never identify myself as an entrepreneur. And my past history would would uh, yeah, dictate that I, I don't have a great deal of successes to boast of. But this, by some remarkable miracle, um, really is seems really seems to be taking off. And uh, I'm extremely uh, privileged to, to to be a part of it. 
Wow. It's like at moments there, I thought I was going to cry. And then the next minute, I'm like, I'm smiling with, with complete joy and happiness. And it, it's like, I don't, don't know what, what emotions to feel when I listen to that story and that, your history of where you've got to now. Can I ask you something about why you've, you've chosen coffee? Because coffee is notorious for um, bad practices around labor as well. So it's interesting that you've chosen to sell coffee. Yeah, good question. And uh, you're absolutely right to identify those issues within the coffee industry. And that was absolutely one of the reasons we chose to sell coffee. We wanted to demonstrate that it was possible to have a business that didn't exploit people, that sold a product that didn't exploit people. I mean, I found out yesterday from our our sources. So I'm in partnership with an amazing coffee company called Clifton Coffee Roasters in Bristol with a great long history of direct trade coffee. And um, they told me a few few weeks back that last year, on average, they paid all of their farmers 156% higher than the fair trade price of coffee. And so, and that's what we are supplying. So, we wanted to demonstrate that it was possible to make profit without someone along the line um, being being exploited. Uh, so that's why we picked coffee, but also because it's somewhat ubiquitous. And CEOs of Fortune 500 companies sit down to a cup of coffee, and students sit down to a cup of coffee. It unites people. It brings people together. It's to some extent proved itself to be recession proof back in 2008 2009 it was one of the few industries that actually grew when people were scaling back what they could do with their money they still made time to go for a coffee with their friends and we thought this is this is probably the product to to go with um and it's great. I mean, I love that we're helping farmers in Ethiopia to, to, to develop their business. And also there's a premium attached to what we pay them that goes towards community projects. And, and the, the work of Sakero Farm in Ethiopia is one of the coffee farms that we trade with. And we're helping to develop a, a, an extra classroom on their school, which is going to allow for more children to receive education. And there's another project in Colombia around an indigenous tribe called the Yerwa community. And, and that premium that we pay in addition to the cost of coffee is is going to helping them develop uh, their business, develop their their land, and plant more coffee trees. And uh, it's it's great to be able to know that at source it's already doing good. Um, and, and then obviously whatever we do with the rest of it, we're off to a good start. So that's that's why we chose coffee. I really have to go out to Ethiopia again. <laughs> I went last year for the uh, Social Enterprise World Forum. I need to go back again now. <laughs> wow! Wow! Well, was that in um, Addis? Yeah, in Addis. I, d- I didn't actually see any of the countryside. Uh, I was only there for three or four days. Hey, that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. I've never been. I would love to. I would love to, love to, love to go to um, to Ethiopia and, and some of the other African countries we've been trading with, that, trading with that, to just produce the most beautiful, flavoursome, vibrant coffees. That would be a real treat. How do you sell the, the coffee? Is that done through a website? So it's online to individuals or are you selling it through supermarkets or are you selling it um, primarily to corporates and businesses to use in their own premises? Yeah, good question. So what we have done um, is try to, to start our business with as little debt as possible. So I already mentioned how we partnered with an existing roastery with a great track record, great relationships in the coffee industry. We then um, started a website. So you can go online, place an order, and it will be freshly roasted and sent direct to your door. But also we have um, about 
10 to 12 wholesalers. And uh, I mean, we've developed that over the last 18 months. And obviously, as we record this, we're still in, in the coronavirus uh, period of human humanity. Um, so we've lost, you know, we've lost nearly all of our wholesale business at the moment because churches, offices, pubs, restaurants um, aren't supplying coffee at the moment. But um, we're really relying on our, on our customers that, that, like you and I, you know, sit down in the morning, start the day with a really nice cup of coffee. They want to know that no one's been exploited but to produce that coffee and, and, and to have it uh, there with them and, and, and something of real good quality. Like one of the things I was desperate to break is that disparity between a good cause and a really pants product. You know, it's like, oh, we love what they're doing, but the coffee's terrible. I just didn't, <laughs> I didn't want to allow anybody to say that about our coffee. So we exclusively sell specialty grade Arabica. So the way coffee is graded and scored, we're in the Premier League. It's the very highest quality. Um, so I really do struggle if anyone was to say they don't enjoy it. But of course, they're free to have their opinion. Um, but I know it's an excellent, excellent standard of, of coffee. So anyone can buy it if you're a wholesaler. Obviously, we have wholesale rates. Um, but I, what I'm really loving, actually, I have the websites connected to my phone. And every now and then someone buys a bag of coffee and it, and it makes a, a ring sound, cha-ching, and it goes in my pocket. And I look on my phone and I see Deborah from uh, Northampton's just bought a bag of El Salvador coffee or Clive from um, Kings Lynn, um, strangely both geographically similar locations has yeah. bought a, <laughs> I haven't somebody been from Birmingham or somebody yeah. from London <laughs> let's get someone further afield you know in fact I actually looked up some stats which is not something I do enough of and I'm sure you would very much identify that if we were to sit down together and give me some <laughs> consultancy I'm terrible for data but 20 percent. oh my that, god that's the worst thing you could ever say um, to me you're terrible for data <laughs> it's my confession it really is and I need absolution for it but 20 percent of our customers are coming in from the US isn't that amazing so um, that's something I think we need to respond to that's a huge market there oh, can US, you imagine? Can Canada you imagine? yeah Australia yeah. New yeah. yeah, it's yeah. difficult, actually, because obviously we want to be ecologically sound as well. We want to have as low a carbon emission footprint as possible. And what you don't want to do is start roast, getting coffee from Africa, fly it over to us, roast it, send it past Africa over to Australia or whatever you think. Hang about. This is a little irresponsible. And so we'll have to try and find a way of doing that without. Unless there was already a, um, somebody shipping or flying it um, and they had space for your coffee in there and then you wouldn't actually be having any more environmental impact. Well, that's one solution. Yeah. The other solution would be to find, find another. cargo planes. Yeah. It sounds a little bit like you've got experience in drug smuggling. I must, I must admit. Um, no, don't, don't you pack it in the sides then? Oh, my goodness. You know all the tactics. We could form some sort of partnership. Yeah, well, with with you, I think with your your criminal background, you'd you'd be perfect for this. Yeah, that's true. It's all about forensics. Don't get caught. Every contact leaves a trace. Yeah, um, <laughs> I see. It. Let let's change the subject. It's gone off on a tangent, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> 
definitely uh, very entertaining um so what are the plans for the future oh good good yeah um you know, one of our principles and it's one of the sort of things you always have to challenge yourself and sort of be reminded of is is ambition we really do want to be committed um to that principle we want to be ambitious we want to operate at scale quite ununiquely if that's a word don't think it is i, I am a millennial right i am i am to, to the very definition i want to make an impact with my time on this planet and that's so we were my company name you can't use that oh gosh i'm gonna get sued Um, (laughs) I'm joking but it's true and I I can see that in what you're trying to achieve too and so we we want to grow um I there's always a temptation of having a lovely small cottage industry that we can just curate and perfect and make it really boutique and beautiful and I I love that you know I'd love nothing more than have my own coffee shop and come down every morning and and meet my regulars and make espresso and you know croissants and I just love the coffee shop culture but I actually don't think that is what Blue Bear is all about I think it's about connecting people with this issue so the more people we can reach and inform about the, you know, the horrible issue of modern slavery but also equip and and give them a way of responding to it hey you're actually helping just by buying a bag of coffee but if you want to get more involved can I introduce you to International Justice Mission? Can I introduce you to Unseen, who run the UK national uh, hotline, anti-slavery hotline, anti-trafficking hotline? Can I introduce you to Justice and Care, who have got this incredible program in Bangladesh? And that's what we want to do. We want to be a conduit of engagement. So the bigger our reach, the better. I would love us to grow um, in the coming years. I would love us to find partners that want to grow with us or have partners that have scale and they have a heart for justice, have a heart their social issues and social transformation who say hey let's let's bring you into our hotels let's bring you into our restaurant chain let's bring you into our airline train line whatever and then we can tell that message to the hundreds and thousands of customers they've got that's my hope for, for blue bear it's not that much it's not that difficult yes exactly um, yeah let's talk i think there are ways to do this um, oh good that <laughs> definitely. sounds very positive okay um, one last thing before we finish then is just if people want to buy your coffee, where where can they get hold of it? What's the website? You're so very kind to give me this opportunity. Big plug here. So you go to www.bluebearcoffee.com is where you will find us. And we're on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. And we have a podcast too. So we have a podcast called The Justice and Coffee Podcast, and you can hear similar stories about people that have got ventures and sort of experiences they want to share about issues of injustice and what they're, they're doing about it. So that's what we're currently up to. Brilliant. It's been really fantastic talking to you and finding out more about Blue Bear Coffee. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. 
You've been listening to the Make an Impact podcast with me, Heidi Fisher. Before you go, a quick announcement. Heidi's second book, Impact First, The Social Entrepreneur's Guide to Measuring, Managing and Growing Your Impact will be published soon. And you can pre-order a limited edition hardback version of the book through Heidi's website. The book gives you the know-how to measure, manage and communicate your impact so that you can grow your social enterprise. Go to Make an Impact CIC dot co dot uk forward slash my dash book dash impact dash first to find details if you've enjoyed the podcast why not leave a review or rating and if you'd like to be on the show then please get in touch via my website make an impact cic dot co dot uk thank you for listening